Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. And as we've been talking a lot of numbers, uh, we want to go to our expert, Scott Rasmussen, independent pollster. And uh, you've really become the uh, deep in the heart of New York uh, inside source for us, Scott. <laughs> Welcome on a Monday. <laughs> well, it's great. I'm, I'm glad to uh, provide that service for the people of Utah. <laughs> uh, you, you've had some really fascinating numbers. Uh, we, we've all been watching the numbers in terms of where things are in terms of kind of the lockdown and slow opens and so on. Uh, you raised some really important things in your latest poll uh, that that maybe go under the surface just a little bit in terms of what's really going on. Are we asking the right questions? Well, yes, and this has been a theme of the last few weeks. I've been, you know, trying to figure out something doesn't seem quite right about the numbers. You know, you hear about uh, these polls saying, well, everybody wants to continue the lockdowns, and then you watch the behavior of people. It doesn't seem to fit that. Um, my polling, like every other poll that asked the question, found that only about 23% of voters think government officials have gone too far in shutting things down. 71% say they've either gone uh, not far enough or have found the right balance. And again, it just didn't seem quite right. So we added another question into the mix. We asked, should every business be allowed to reopen if they uh, practice appropriate social distancing protocols? And you know what? 60% said yes. Only 26% said no. Uh, that seems like quite a jarring contradiction. It, uh, when we're hearing about support for lockdowns continuing, and yet 60% of voters want every single business to be able to reopen not not a few not essential businesses not the ones picked by a politician every business and a good part of the column was exploring you know how do we connect those two different pieces of data yeah and i and i do think that's so important and it's so important for our listeners uh, it it is easy to look at some some top line numbers of a poll uh, and make some sweeping generalities. And sometimes that, that happens. It happens on the national news. Uh, it happens everywhere that it's easy to say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's the way it is. And we get that instant certainty. Uh, but what you're saying, Scott, is there's, especially when it comes to opening up the country, uh, there's a lot under the surface there. That's right. Uh, a lot of nuance to it. Uh, you know, probably won't surprise anybody to know that people who think the government has gone too far uh, almost all believe that businesses should be allowed to reopen. Uh, but the next step is, what about those people who say the government decision-making has been about 
about right so far. You know, they're they're kind of happy with the pace of uh, of things. Well, by a 61 to 23 percent margin, they say every business should be allowed to reopen. And again, that seems okay. Maybe that's just the next logical step. But the most stunning response came from the people who said the government hasn't yet gone far enough to shut things down. And they're pretty evenly divided about whether every business could reopen or not. And that just seems, again, on the surface to be inconsistent. But when you look at it, you take a look at some other data that we have, uh, you begin to realize that in a lot of the public narrative, there's sort of a conflating of the terms, lockdown and social distancing and flattening of the curve. And um, uh, it seems that what we're really looking at now is people, uh, it's not necessarily that people want to continue lockdowns, but they do recognize there's a big concern uh, about health issues, so they want to continue practicing social distancing, uh, but they, they also don't want to you know, unnecessarily hinder that. So uh, I think that what we're seeing in the real nuanced approach to the public mood is not a response to a government policy, but the idea that society should be allowed to reopen, but that members of uh, society should be expected to uh, to behave in a responsible manner. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that's so that's so important. We we've talked about it a number of times that it's it really is this opening of society uh, that is the real key to this whole thing, both in terms of uh, society leading and and politicians following, as we've talked about many times. Uh, but also this this responsibility of individual members of society to be responsible for businesses to do the right thing, uh, and if we get that right, the uh, the politicians will follow. That's right. And and look, you know, people who say that uh, they're concerned about uh, ending lockdowns or things, many of them are doing so because you know they're a little bit distrustful. They see some people who are saying we don't think there should be any social distancing. We don't think there's anything to worry about. And other folks are saying, well, that, that's a little too extreme for me. But if you hit this, this ground of putting the responsibility on, on individuals, um, it, it shifts it and it puts it in the more normal American context of, of being governed by all aspects of society. Look, people are ready to end the formal government-imposed lockdowns, uh, but they want new rules uh, in terms of social distancing. They just want them to be societal rules enforced by individual Americans. And bluntly, if a business reopens and doesn't establish some kind of safe protocols and it turns out to be a problem, nobody's going to go there. So this is the way, you know, you put power in the hands of individuals to move forward. Yeah, absolutely right. If you're just joining us, uh, independent polder Scott Rasmussen on the line with us. Uh, always appreciate Scott's insight behind the numbers. Uh, you had one other component that I wanted to get to before we let you go today, Scott, and that is in this new poll that you've just released. Uh, interesting uh, perceptions in terms of opening beaches and public transit. Tell us about that. Well, you know, there was all kinds of news stories about how irresponsible it was of Florida to reopen beaches. Uh, and yet then just last week we found out that New York City, my city, hadn't shut down the subways at all in the midst of this, even to sanitize the subway cars. So we asked which was more dangerous. Um, and I think the big surprise, 51% said the subways, keeping the subways going was more dangerous than reopening the beaches. Um, but uh, 31% or 30% took the opposite view. And when I looked at the numbers, I don't think anybody was really, you know, weighing carefully the health 
impact of these things. Uh, subways and beaches have become political symbols. For some who want to continue the lockdowns, who want to uh, continue being more cautious, they thought opening the beaches was too uh, too much of a sign of opening things up. So a plurality of Democrats said opening the beaches was more dangerous than the subways. Republicans and independents basically said, nah, subway system was uh, was more dangerous. And, and boy, getting back to that uh, sense of individual responsibility, uh, even though the subways continued to be open throughout the pandemic here in New York, ridership was down 92%. Mm. Uh, people, you know, were aware of the risks and were staying off as much as possible. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Anything else jump out to you in this uh, last round of polling that we should be aware of today? Oh, there is so much into it. But I think <laughs> the biggest sense is public reaction is ready to get beyond this. Sixty-five uh, percent are concerned that our constitutional rights may be infringed upon by uh, overzealous government officials. People want to get back to some sense of normal, but they also do recognize it's going to be a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think there's an interesting, uh, we were talking about this earlier in the show, that there's, there is this kind of weariness in the nation right now where people are like, oh, how long, you know, I, I kind of pushed through, I geared up, I, my adrenaline got me through yeah. the first month, and now we're kind of in this in-between. Uh, is that going to take, what's it going to take to kind of get people energized for this next phase of this uh, long haul? You know, um, I think that weariness that you're talking about is going to um, to just be overwhelmed by the sense of we can finally get out again. Uh, there are some restaurants that I'm familiar with here in New York City that have a policy. You know, we're not allowed to dine in anywhere, uh, but they've already started bending the rules. If you order a meal from them and you want to go in and wait for it and have a drink while you're waiting, they won't say no. Uh, and so now you walk into some of these places that are officially closed, and it's not like they're crowded, but you know what? There's people there again. Uh, and, and the minute you begin to loosen those restrictions, you're going to see it go a step further. All right. There we go. Always appreciate it. Uh, we were also talking earlier about uh, people in your life that drain your energy and those who have an energy return factor. And, uh, Scott, we thank you for being a, an energy returner for the program here. Appreciate it as always, Scott. Thanks, Boyd. Have a great day. All right. Again, that's Scott Rasmussen. Uh, great, great new polling out and some fascinating things in terms of those underlying questions under the poll numbers that, again, the majority of people think that any business that can follow the procedures and social distancing and sanitation should be able to open and move forward. So a lot of fascinating stuff. Continue to monitor that as we move along here on KSL News Radio. Coming up after the break, Doug Wilkes, editor of the Deseret News, will join us. Don't want to miss this conversation. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.